On this edition of the Scott Radley Show, we are going to talk about Hamilton Island. Maybe. They are talking about, as part of the Commonwealth Games bid, maybe turning part of the bayfront into an island, like cutting it off from the mainland because, well, we'll explain what that's all about. It's an interesting idea. It's a really interesting idea. We'll talk about it. We're also going to talk about the idea of paying to sleep. There is a place in Toronto now where you, if you are really tired and it's the middle of the day and you want to go lay down, it is a shop where you go to pay down and have a nap. Would you do this? See, I would just go into my car and recline the seat, but not everyone in Toronto obviously has that, and not everybody wants to just lay down on a sewer grate on the middle of Young Street. So, would you pay to have a nap? Well, we'll talk about that. And Don Robertson joins me as he does once a week. We will be talking about all kinds of things in the world of sports, maybe even some stuff about taxes, because why not? Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There is a group that is trying, is working towards putting in a bid to bring the 2030 Commonwealth Games to Hamilton. This would be the 100th anniversary because you'll recall that the British Empire Games started here in Hamilton in 1930. Anyway, as part of this proposal, there is a bid document. It hasn't been released yet, but Matthew Van Dongen from The Spectator got his hands on it. And apparently in it, there is a proposal that, among other things, we turn Bayfront Park into an island. Literally... Cut it right off from the mainland. We are going to turn what is attached an isthmus, or maybe a peninsula, I'm not sure, I guess it would be more of a peninsula, into an island. Uh, See, right now, and this is only one of the issues, but right now, bacteria from bird poop is one of the issues. It gathers in that area and sinks and makes it unswimmable and gross because stuff blossoms from it. Anyway, the thought is this would help clean the water around it by improving circulation so some of that would move around and it wouldn't be so disgusting. I don't know, honestly, if this idea is absolutely genius or completely bonkers, but I know someone who probably does. Chris McLaughlin is the executive director of the Bay Area Restoration Council. He joins me now. Chris, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you, Scott? I am well. So uh, let's go right to that question. Uh, Hearing the idea of turning this into an island so we'll have water circulating around it and it'll get rid of some of these problems, could this actually work? Well, uh, I mean, back to your statement there, I... The one thing I, I know that it's not bonkers. Uh, any okay. proposal, you know, any legitimate proposal that tries to get at the, the water quality issues that are keeping people now from getting into the water safely is, is legitimate and worth pursuing. Um, there's context to this discussion about making alterations to the geography of the park, and that's the city for the last couple of years has had a consultant looking at this. So we do have a little bit of uh, investigation going into what changes could be made. At the par- at Bayfront Park to make the the beach area in particular, but that area that you were talking about, where they were gonna, they were the the the, the pie in the sky thinking at at this point is cut a channel through it, and one of those lobes that sticks out around the beach would be cut off and uh, and a bridge over to it as an island. Um, whether or not that's aesthetically a good idea, and whether or not especially whether it it uh, creates the kind of water improvements that that are necessary for people to swim safely. That's for a whole other investigation. Well, and when I said bonkers, listen, I'm all I'm with you. If there is an idea that we can throw out there and explore, I'm all for it because it would be great if we could now get back into the water. The bonkers question was: Is the idea of would this be enough to create the kind of circulation to clean the water? As as of, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Part, part of well, part of the issue is the uncertainty. We don't know. Uh, the best we can do is perhaps use computer modeling to suggest what the wa- how the water would circulate. Some of this work has been done already by some experts at the University of Toronto um, through the remedial action plan to clean up Hamilton Harbour, uh, looking at how the water circulates, how it comes in and out of the lake, uh, and but work to, to, to imagine what might happen to water, uh, to water circulation if some of the park, like that one lobe that extends out around the beach, if it was removed, would it create enough of a circulation pattern that it would take some of that waste away from the beach? Because as people may not realize, been here for 25 years now, Bayfront Park and the beach, it's, it's, an, artificial, uh, it's an artificial beach. The whole park is made from landfill that was dumped into the harbor back going back into the 60s through the 80s. And so what we've done is, is turn a, what's the phrase, a, 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 a sow's ear into a silk purse. Mm. We've taken what was you know, a really deplorable situation and turn it into something that's one of the best places in the city, frankly. And so 
we just don't know at this point. So part of the hesitation would be when you look through the city's consultants report on which options, um, what, how much options the options would cost and what should we do? Well, the city's done many of the low hanging fruit, the cheap, inexpensive changes to how they manage the park. That's been one thing and it's showing some success. The other question though, about whether you spend potentially millions of dollars to change the geography of the park there's so much uncertainty around that. We don't know that we would get the water quality in the end that we need. And in this case, we're going to spend, you know, if we're going to go down that road, we would want some assurances. And especially, as, as I come to understand, they had the same problem in Glasgow at a previous Commonwealth Games where an algae outbreak, which is potentially very dangerous, um, was in effect. And they still went ahead and uh, with the event and apparently it made many of the competitors sick. And obviously that's not, you know that's not what all of this work is working towards is to have headlines like that but but the 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 report and again Matthew Van Dongen the reporter has reported this the report and this is a quote the resulting water movement is expected to fully address the green algae issue and you're cited as an expert as, as a as an advisory body in this report so we did have a conversation to explain some of the issues to the folks involved in the bid and the issues of, that are affecting swimming at the beach and at the park in particular have to do, like you said at the, at the front end of your show, have to do with bacteria from birds and other sources, but, but mainly birds in that local area. The algae issue is driven by nutrients, the, the feedstock for algae that come off the watershed. And, uh, and so this is a huge problem as the, as the, as the, as the streams and creeks are fed with phosphorus and the phosphorus is there's so much phosphorus that gathers down in the bay it's like a buffet for algae and they bloom in the summertime as everybody knows this has scientists around the world scratching their heads it's not a hamilton harbor problem it's all around the world people are facing these issues the, the issue of algal blooms and potentially dangerous algal blooms i'm not sure i would i mean i would love to see some of the background on that i'm, I'm afraid i don't know what that what research or, or investigation they might be referring to um, but obviously that would have to be explored uh, uh, in much greater detail before anything went forward. Where we do share common cause is that they're interested in people swimming safely in their event in the harbor, and we're interested in people eventually swimming safely in the harbor as a whole. Chris, we got to so, jump in. we got to jump in because i got to take yeah. a quick break, and I know you've got to run, so I, I really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course, Scott. Anytime. Thanks. We will talk again. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I thought Chris was going to be tied up. We had a meeting. Chris McLaughlin, the executive director of the Bay Area Restoration Council that we were just talking to. Thankfully, Chris has a little more time, so he is still with us. Chris, sorry for cutting you off so quickly. I thought you had to yeah. run, but glad you're here uh, because i got a lot more things I want to know about this. And just before the break, we're talking about some of the other challenges. L- let, me be, let me ask, you know, I used the word bonkers earlier. Let me throw out a bonkers idea. If moving water around and creating better circulation could possibly do some of the stuff we need it to do, are there, is there not technology as crazy as that sounds that we could put underwater that could just move the water without spending 10 or $20 million to see if that's going to make a difference. There's got to be, I don't know, propellers or something that we could, I don't know what you would do, but just to see if that's actually going to be a solution. Well, I think that that's entirely possible, although it's not well known what they are and it's not well known how much they would cost. I think part of the issue is the size and extent of the Harbor. It's 11 square miles of, of open water potentially so you know that how effective technology would be in one particular location would need to be investigated and some of it has been over the past several years the, through the remedial action plan governmental agencies and scientists have tried out various uh, technological applications but they haven't been very successful and they haven't been pursued uh, you know one of the most difficult things is that our remaining problems on water quality really come down to human behavior, not technology. So it's going to be changing people's behavior, changing land use patterns all across the watershed. That's where we're going to find water quality gains in the future. We have big plans in this city, though, for at Pier 8 for a massive development down the road and other things along the waterfront. Are we then, are you saying that we are potentially trying to fix one problem while creating another problem at the same time? 
by the development, I don't. Uh, if you mean, I don't think that that's a problem necessarily. I mean, if you go back decades, there's no chance that you would have people uh, willingly paying to live down at Pier Eight and visit and uh, the waterfront trail and, and so forth. Um, first of all, there was no access at the beginning of the remedial action plan in the in the mid '80s, and uh, and and the water quality was such that you you wouldn't have wanted to hang around. So there's so much to celebrate in this community around the improvements that have been made. But we that doesn't really matter, you know, to the next generation that says, I want it to be better than this, I want it to be as good as it can be. And we've got a ways to go there yet. I have lived in Hamilton now for pretty much all of my adult life. I don't know how long. I mean, you've probably been here longer than that. And I can assure you that in all the time I've lived in this city, the thought of going into Hamilton Harbor to swim unprotected is about the same as me walking into Chernobyl and breathing deeply in one of the, you know, things there. It's just, we've been told and conditioned and taught that that would be horrendous for us. What would have to happen for that to change? And I don't mean just for the water. I mean, for the psychological thing for people to buy into the fact that we may be able to someday get back into Hamilton Harbor. You know, I think the social engineering around this is way harder than the civil engineering. And by, by that, I mean that we are a community here in Hamilton so uniquely estranged from the water. I grew up in Peterborough, and, you know, it's, you just can jump into water any 50 feet. You know, you don't think anything of it. That was, that was life for me growing up. And so it's, it's very weird to have, again, like you, moved here in my early adulthood and, uh, and be in a community where so many people have never been in the water. And, in fact, when I'm presenting this to public audiences, I have a photograph of my head sticking out of the harbor uh, with the high-level bridge in the background because you're going to get the question, right? If you're going to promote such things, the answer has to be yes. Uh, but I'm not, there are not many people uh, in those audiences that have the experiences going in the bay. It's a very strange thing, and it's a sad thing. It's a tragedy, really, for the city. The perception of, of the state of the harbor hasn't kept up with the reality, and that's not to say that everything is you know, hunky-dory and go ahead and jump right in. But most places, most of the time, we don't have the problems of toxic waste and, and human waste that we did in the past, where people in the 1960s, it was described as a stinking, rotten quagmire of filth and poisonous waste. So yeah, it's Chernobyl, <laughs> Chernobyl right? Yeah, put that on your tourism posters. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, don't, we clearly don't have those problems anymore. But there is this underlying sentiment that remains, that somehow Hamilton Harbor is remains this dangerous place. And in fact, you probably know people like I do that, that refer to, you know, you, oh, you fell in the harbor, oh, you get green, you, are you glowing now like you would be if you'd gone to Chernobyl, right? And of course, that's not the problem. There's never been a problem like that in the past. But, uh, but that's not to say that there aren't still issues to resolve and uh, to, in, to increase the amount of habitat throughout the harbor and in the Coots of Paradise to improve uh, the fish populations in the harbor. And to improve water quality for the health of everything, including the, the people that want to get little kids and big kids like me and probably you that want to get back in the water safely. Chris McLaughlin, the Executive Director of the Bay Area Restoration Council. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Thanks. Uh, you can go read the story, by the way. Should Hamilton turn Bayfront Park into an island for the Commonwealth Games? That's at the spec.com. It's in the paper. It's a really interesting way pie-in-the-sky idea, I think. The idea of just cutting off a piece of land and let's create water circulation by creating an island. I I read it today and I went, well, would not have seen that coming. But apparently there may be something to it. We will, we'll, we'll be hearing a lot more about this. I guarantee it. We'll be hearing a lot more about this leading up to the bid if it comes for the 2030 Games. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Are you tired? This minute, could you lie down and just go to sleep for a bit? How about earlier this afternoon? Think back a bit. Were you ready for a little shut-eye? Three o'clock, maybe two o'clock? How about this morning? After you got up, at some point this morning, did you think, man, I could go back and crawl into bed very nicely right about now? Mm-hmm. I ask you this because we are told, we are apparently perpetually overtired people. That's what they tell us. Back in March, Canada's public health agency said at least one quarter of us aren't getting nearly enough sleep, and it's probably a higher number than that. So all that said, we're let's ex- assume for a moment that we are all barely hanging on with our eyelids open. Would you pay 
to go have a nap? Would you pay to go somewhere and have a nap? There's a place in Toronto now that is banking on your perpetual exhaustion and is now charging you if you want to go have a quick sleep. They provide the bed. They provide the bedding. They provide some form of privacy. We'll find out exactly how much in a moment. It's called Nap It Up. For 10 bucks, you get 25 minutes of shut-eye at this place, and it's at Young and Eglinton, so sort of in the middle of town. Uh, you step out of your office cubicle, you walk a few blocks, go to the shop, and you nod off and have a little nap over lunchtime, then back to work. Uh, Devika Desai writes for the National Post. She took this place for a test drive the other day. She joins us now. Devika, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me here. So uh, let's go through this thing because uh, there's a part of me that thinks this sounds really like a brilliant idea for a bunch of people who are really overtired. And there's a part of me that thinks this sounds really kind of creepy and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting because um, I think when I when I first heard of it and I think when I first um, talked to the owner, um, my first thought was, why would I, like, just as, as a potential consumer or customer, my, my first thought was, why would I really want to come here and pay for a nap if I can just go home and get some shut-eye after work? And it's so funny because when I talked to her without me even asking that question, that's, that's the exact topic that she brought up. And she actually said that, you know, a lot of people might say that, you know, you might, you can just go home and get some shut-eye, but... I think it's, but you know, for people who work long hours, especially for people who might have children or you might have errands to run after work, you don't really get, you you may not really get that ability to actually do that, and so it's just it's it's just a quick way of just getting some sense of shut eye, and it's it's catered towards people who are so exhausted that, you know, you need that ten minutes just to kind of amp up your performance to be able to make it through the rest of the day. You mentioned a word that I had not thought of, and I should have because I've had kids. But yes, the children <laughs> thing I had not thought of that if you go home for a quick nap, you're not getting your nap anyway. The, the one the one exactly. way the one place I thought is well, if you have a car, you can just go into your car and tilt your car seat back and do it. But mm-hmm. uh, but how many people in Toronto are driving a car? Right now. So, okay, let's go through this. You, you right. went there, you tried it out. Um, mm-hmm. How does this work? First of all, I mean, is it private? When you walk in there and you want to lie down, is it really private? It's, um, so it's, it's not like you get a room to yourself. I would maybe describe it as more semi-private than private. Um, when you walk into the place, um, first, you know, there's a reception room where you're asked to, I think, sign a waiver. And then um, after that, you know, you you leave your shoes at the door. You can take your belongings in with you and kind of hang them up. And when you walk into the next room, it's sort of it's it's sort of like a maze of beds. Well, not really a maze, but it's just sort of rows of beds. And um, on either side of the bed and in front of each bed, there are curtains. And so it, it, it almost works like how if you if you go to like a retail, like a clothing store and you have dressing rooms, you can just kind of pull the curtain all the way through to kind of get that privacy. Or a triage area in an emergency room. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it is it is semi, it, I, I would call it as most semi-private. And when I went there, it still, it just opened up about a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's still, you know, gaining that traction, gaining more attention. And so when I went there, um, there was no one else there which kind of benefited me because then, you know, uh, uh, the fewer people, the more privacy for me, the more quiet for me. Um, so I don't know how it might work if, I guess, a lot of people were there. Um, or if I, the person I, in the next little cube, next little area was snoring loudly or something. Yeah. Well, um, from what I've read, or I think from what I what I heard, they actually, oh, from what they, what they told me, um, they do provide plugs of some sort that I think you have to, um, or like you have to purchase them for a bit of an extra amount that you can sort of use to, um, I guess, kind of, plug up the sound and um as part of the waiver you actually agree to be woken up if you are i think making you if you are kind of creating a little bit of sound and being a little noisy yeah, yeah. what oh, I'm, I'm very curious when you said at the beginning that you go and you have to sign a, a waiver or something what mm-hmm. i mean i would think that sleeping is the last thing you would need to sign a waiver for for your safety what could you possibly be signing to give them legal clearance from that you don't wake um, up? Um, God, I wish I remember. So I know one of them was, like I said, if you're if if you're kind of creating a little bit of noise, you know, to the point where it could kind of affect everyone else in the room, then you are basically kind of agreeing to be woken up, even if you know you're in the middle of your nap or in the middle of that time period that you've signed up for, simply because, and you know, to be told that hey, you're making, you know, you're kind of being a little noisy. Would you like to, you know, buy these plugs to kind of, uh, you know. Uh, 
drawer, the snoring. Um, apart from the rest of it, I actually wish I remembered what it was. I actually don't, but I think it's just there's it's lawyers just for there's of, lawyers for everything, even for sleeping. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I think it's just a way of just making sure that there's like transparent communication, sure. you know, between customers and between staff. Yeah, nothing, nothing super illegal. Nothing, you know, nothing scary. Could you? Now, I don't know what, you know, if you're a light sleeper or a deep sleeper or whatever else, but could not everybody is going to walk into a kind of a public place and just fall asleep. Were you able to fall asleep? Um, so it's interesting because um, when I went there, I actually wasn't tired at all. But, and also when I went there, I went there because I was, I was doing the story for the post and I had a photographer come along with me to take photos. So, you know, while I was quote unquote sleeping, I had, you know, my colleague like taking photos of me, which is, you know, not exactly the best way to take a nap. <laughs> but um, that being said, when I, you know, was, you know, on, um, on the bed under the sheets and I had the sleeping mask on and, you know, it's quiet, you have this white noise and it was pretty empty and, you know, um, the staff member had dimmed the lights. It, it is actually quite relaxing. Um, I did actually find myself sort of getting relaxed. I could actually find myself, you know, I was, I did almost fall asleep, even though I had, you know, my colleagues just snapping photos of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it is plausible. And I think more importantly, it is, it's, I think this place, it's, it's catered towards people who are, you know, exhausted. That's why it's located young at Eglinton. It's located in a place where there are a lot of corporate offices. So there are a lot of people who work, you know, incredibly long hours, you know, you don't really get that opportunity to go home and get that shut eye. So, um, I think it's it's for people who are going to be so tired. You're not you're not really going. All all you're going to want at that point is just a nice clean bed, some quiet. You know, some you know the lights dimmed out. That's that's really all you're going to need. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Devika Desai for the National Post. Uh, we're talking about a new place in Toronto where you can go and pay to have a nap. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I am sure that now that someone's had this idea, someone else is going to say, huh, I throw out some beds, I change some sheets, and I make some money. Hmm, not too hard. Sounds like a good business plan to me. We'll see these around somewhere else at some point. And Devika, it made me wonder if we've not seen something like this in Canada before because nobody's thought of it or because someone did think of it and say, I can't make any money doing that. Which one do you think it is? Um, I think it's hard to say. It might be a little bit of both because um, I think the idea of, of paying for sleep is something that it's unheard of. You know, a lot of people don't really like it. it it's sort of like almost it's. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty novel idea. It's kind of unheard of. Like I said, you know, usually the reaction to to you know being asked to pay for sleep would probably just be, "Hey, I can just go home and catch a nap. Why do I have to pay for this?" Bed? One of the last few free things. Yeah, exactly. But um, I think when I was talking again to the owner of the studio, she actually made a very interesting point. She actually compared it to, you know, paying for fast food. You know, perhaps there was. Once upon a time where we might have said the same thing towards, you know, paying for food. We could have just said, hey, well, we could just go home and make our own food. Why do we want to pay for this? So it's not so much about paying for sleep or about paying for food. It's, it's more about paying for the convenience of having this thing offered to us at a time when we need it rather than having to make our own time and, you know, make our own effort to go and seek it. It's, it's just more paying for that convenience rather than the actual service. Now, it's 10 bucks for 25 minutes. What if I'm still tired after 20? I mean, if I'm as, as exhausted as this is supposedly geared toward those people who are just so tired, 25 minutes may not be enough. What happens? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can either pay you can either pay ten dollars for twenty five minutes. You can pay twenty dollars for fifty five minutes, and I think thirty dollars for about eighty five minutes. Um, I don't know if you if you if you can take naps longer than that. I'm unsure about that. Um, but um, the way I seem to see it, it, it seems like for every for, for every extra thirty minutes, the price seems to go up by ten minutes. Uh, a few people asked some questions when I was talking to them about it today, and I said I was going to be talking about this. Uh, first one. <laughs> Uh, the the first and most important thing is it clean because there would be nothing grosser than getting into a bed that was pre-used it seemed pretty clean to me um the owner made a note of telling me that they washed that they that they replaced the sheets every time it's been used um which seems like that would create a lot of laundry but you know that's <laughs> That's the price you got to pay. Um, but yeah, I think from what from from my own visit, it definitely seemed like they really, you know, they, they made a lot of effort to, you know, make it as welcoming as possible. But you know, not too not not too much on the eyes. Um, you know, there were light blue walls, minimal decor. 
Um, you know, there was this, there's this um, like lavender, this mild lavender scent in the air. It's 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 a cool room, but not so cold. It's it it does seem like you know they did put a lot of effort into making it you know as as suitable and as and as appealing as possible for someone who wants you know quick shut eye. The other thing that, of course, everybody asked about, and you probably got asked this yourself when you went back <laughs> to the office, um, how it, these are only single beds. Like someone, you can't just sort of go use this for your, you know, afternoon delight, as it were, with someone. This is this is specifically for sleeping. Yes, this is specifically for sleeping. If you want to do that, if you want to do something else with someone else, you go somewhere else. There are single That's- beds. Um, there are single beds. Yeah, okay. Um, they do have two types of beds. They have regular beds and they have pre- um, um, premium beds. I think the premium beds are a bit bigger and they come with an extra blanket, whereas with a regular bed, you have to pay, um, I think, an extra $3 for a blanket. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, these are single beds. Um, you're sleeping alone. Last thing, if this legitimately works, if this were to catch on and mm-hmm. people who are really tired start to use this, I, I'm looking at this going, they may put themselves out of business because wouldn't a lot of companies then say, man, if our employees need sleep and are going to function better with a quick nap, why don't we put just a bed or two into some quiet room so they can go and do this here and we can get better production out of them? I mean, that is an interesting question, Astra. I hadn't thought about that. It is possible, but I mean, to an extent, that that still hasn't happened. I think, you know, sleep deprivation as a disorder, as an issue, is something that's been talked about for years, but you don't really see, or at least I haven't really heard of a lot of, you know, employers or companies really taking action about it. No, they put gyms. We have gyms put into workplaces, but not this. So who knows? Who knows down the road? Maybe. It's completely possible, yeah. So I think think with the... With with a business like this, it it I think only really time can tell what can really happen because it is it isn't really it isn't really a case of you know churning out a product and having someone buy the product. It's 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 a little bit different. So you're right, only time can tell. Devicate Desai from the National Post. Really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I, I don't I, I don't know if I would pay to sleep. I don't know if I would do it. I'd probably just pull a George Costanza nap under my desk if I had to. But I, several years ago, I was driving home from, I had to drive a long way anyway, and I remember thinking, I'm wishing I had a place, but then you just recline your car seat, you pull over the side of the road in a McDonald's parking lot in the middle of the night or something and nap for an hour and then on you go. So, but pay for it? I don't know. I don't know. I would have to be very, very tired, I think, to pay for a nap. It's other things I want to use my money on. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, owner-operator of the Dundas Real McCoys of ComChoice Realty, guy whose team played its first game in its new arena on Friday. Beautiful new arena. It was great with the game. I, went, I popped in to see it, and it's a great place to watch a game. It is, and uh, our executive loved it. The fans, all the reports I got, it was one of the did. best part? One of the best part? Yep. There's more than one bathroom now in the whole place. Yes, there's multiple bathrooms. Oh, before, if you had to go, there was one bathroom for the men at the back end of the place. And if you had to go and there was someone in there who was... Taking their time? Taking their time. Oh, man. Lollygagging around? You had few options. Well, you go outside. You had, that, was, <laughs> that, was one, that was one of your options. We have multiple bathrooms. It's, it's very nice now. Multiple levels. The visiting team have the better dressing room, which is always nice for them. And, yeah, it was great. The uh, Wall of Fame ceremony was very well received. Uh, as you we talked about last week, we did the moment silence for Mike Dyer and um, um, Davey Awesome. And the whole night, other than the 3-2 score going the wrong way, was one of the best games uh, that we've uh, seen in there in recent years, obviously the last two excluded. And, yeah, the whole night by all accounts was fabulous. Uh, it was a real nice crowd there. And But I'm sure there are people out there that were able to find fault. They are, they're all, they always are, but well, it was pretty and, nice. And by the way, we're talking about the J.L. Greitmeyer mm-hmm. Arena in Dundas, in case anyone doesn't know, that has been two years in the remaking that it's been under construction for. But, no, it's a uh, – if you get a chance, and I've – Don has not paid me to say this, but if you get a chance to go see a game there, it is, uh, I've argued before the renovations that that's the best place to watch a hockey game in the city, whether it's your team or any other team. Yep. I mean, it's the best arena to, it's just the most intimate place to watch a game and now it's, uh, it's even nicer. So take a look. The front row seats are two feet from the ice. I mean, you can't, you physically can't get any closer than there. I remember so. years ago I was there with my son when he was very young and we sat at the very end 
uh, in, right behind the net, and he had his pop up on the ledge, and there was a body <laughs> check, and he wore it. <laughs> so you're close. You're very close. Thank you. Uh, and uh, one other thing, just before we get started on some sports things that I want to talk about, just on the way in here, you walked in about the topic we had on the air last hour about the creating an island. And we, I think Don and I have solved the big problem <laughs> with this city because they're talking about, and if you missed last hour, they're talking about potentially as part of the Commonwealth Games 2030 bid, turning Bayfront Park into an island. And Don and I came up with the brilliant idea. I think it's brilliant. If we're going to have an island, don't make it close to shore. Put it out right in the middle of the harbor and make it like our Alcatraz. And don't clean up the water after that. And you won't, nobody would dare to swim to shore to escape from the island, from the Alcatraz, because of the way the wall, anyway, it's. um, There's something wrong with the picture where uh, Dreschel's column talks about perhaps a 5.5% increase in taxes. And on the front page of the paper, we're talking about building an island. So I'm not conflicting, conflicting. But now the a to, great, perhaps a great idea. I don't be, know. Well, to be fair, this one is with the Commonwealth Games bid, so the idea would be that a huge chunk of this would come from federal or municipal, a federal or provincial money. Oh, good. That comes out of my other pocket. That, well, that's a different discussion for another day. But yes, All that's right. a. Um, that is, uh, you know, we could talk taxes the whole hour because there's uh, there's so many things to talk about and. You know, last week we were talking here on the show about the fact that municipal budgets, municipal governments are not permitted to run a deficit. And so if their costs go up above, they immediately have to pass that on. That's why we're hearing about a 5.3% tax increase. If they go over budget where they were by 5.3%, you have to have that attached right away. We can't put that into a debt. And how different government would be run at the federal or provincial level if the same thing was applied? That if a federal government wants to add $50 billion of spending, that immediately has to be put onto your ta- everyone's tax bill that year that you can't run a deficit. I guarantee you things would be looked at differently. <laughs> I guarantee A lot you. of things. Everything. I Everything. I'm just doing some math right the good, here. The good news is that city council... Um, can't run a deficit, and they don't. So if you added $50 billion of spending in a year, just did the math here, that would mean that for every person, their tax bill per person would have to go up by $1,315 a year immediately. So a family of four, you're talking about, about you were, your tax bill would go up by $5,000. You're going to tell me that if the same way of taxation was done in federal or provincial, and that would just be the federal, then the provincial raises theirs, so now you get a tax bill at your family, Don, and you're up by seven or $8,000 in taxes that people are going to say, I'm fine with that. No chance. No I'm chance. I'm fine with that as long as my property taxes don't go up. No, but they would too. The odd part is it might be really hard for the one- and two-year-olds to come up for their with their share. Yeah, but you mom, figured it out mom or everybody. dad would have to pay. Yeah, really but mom would. or dad would have to pay. And yeah. so you, per uh, household. This, this is the point. I don't. I, we're going down a rabbit hole here of taxes, but if you couldn't defer it to later generations and had to pay for what you're buying now, we would, I think, be much more careful and much more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, about what we're, what we are going to buy and what we're going to take on? We would. We would really assess in in a f- far more detail. I think our real needs. Sure. Sure. As opposed to saying, oh, that sounds like a lovely plan. It adds $25 billion. We'll just throw it into the debt and let the kids pay it later. You have to pay that right now? We, we might stop sp- sending money offshore as quickly there as would we There would be all kinds well. of things. Yeah. There would be all kinds of things that would be different. Let me, um, let me ask you about this. We, uh, Ticats won again on the weekend, 15, finished their regular season 15-3 and three now. Best season ever by a Hamilton Ticat team, which I, I was on with Scott Thompson earlier today, and I said, you know, it's stunning that for a team that's been around as long as they have, that they've never had a year like this before. I mean, good for them for doing it, absolutely. But it's stunning that a team that's been around this long has never had one year like this ever. You know, and the pessimists would say, you know, they're playing more games now than maybe the 10 or 12 they used to play. But even go winning percentage. But the yeah, winning percentage. The point is they didn't lose at home. No. Nope. I don't care how many you play. It, when you don't lose at home, you don't lose at home. I mean, that's a pretty tremendous feat, and they kind of did it Saturday without breaking a sweat. I mean, it's a very good indication of how deep the Hamilton Ticats are 
to be able to not use all your best players and still win. It may also be a yeah. A, I think that I think that honestly the description Ar- on Toronto Argos too. Well, and I think that to be fair, uh, last game of the season for a team that isn't going to the playoffs, I think a lot of the Argos players were thinking, let's finish this game and not have a blown out knee for the well, offseason. Well, with Pinball there, I mean, he may have said, look, at let's, I mean, you haven't been using these guys. Let's take a look at some guys to see. It was a, it was kind of a quasi-training camp for them mm-hmm. to see who they're going to keep and who they want to replace. Yeah, I, look, there were guys that were playing hard. I'm not saying nobody was trying. I'm just no, saying. They're, pro, they're professional players. They're going to go hard. They're going to go as hard as they need to if you, depending on how you know what your spot is in the team going forward. Yeah. Right, because some of the guys are, I'm serious, they would be saying, I do not want to get injured right in the last game of the year, so I know I'm okay here. And and for the backups, there was an opportunity to prove that you can do a better job than the other guy. Yeah, absolutely. But the Ticats, going back just to winning percentage for a second, they finish with an 833 winning percentage. They've never had that before. So no matter how many games in a season they've played, it is the best season they've had, which brings me to what I want to ask you about. If you have gone 15 and 3 now in the regular season, you've had your best ever regular season. Is it overstatement? Is it unfair or is it totally reasonable to say if they don't win the Grey Cup this year, ultimately this will be seen as a giant disappointment? I think if you remove the term giant, okay, this will be a disappointment. I would think so. I mean, you can't have your best winning percentage ever. Best in the league. Um, best, and I was going to say, and you're not second place, right? So generally speaking, the team that has the best team during the regular season is favored to win the championship, unless you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right, but ended up in first place and get swept four straight. But if Calgary on the other side had finished eighteen and zero, and two of Hamilton's losses had been to Calgary. You might say, okay, I get it. There's no, yep. you know, but this is a different story. You are the best team in the league. But they beat everybody in yep. the West, and nobody in from the East beats everybody in the West. The bad part is it comes down to a one-game shootout. So there's no, clearly there's no guarantees. But on a percentage-wise, I would think you would have to look at this season, if you're a Dynawool Ticat fan, and say, if we don't win this year, it's a disappointment. And, and Wouldn't I, it be nice to be um, Grey Cup champions going into hosting next year? Two years. 2021 is the... Uh, oh, they should I've, move, I've, move I've, it up a I've, year. I've made the same mistake. Um, see, I would put the word giant back in it. I, I think if you don't win the Grey Cup this year with the season you've had, with the fact that there's not another powerhouse team in the league, there's good teams, but there's not another team in the league that the Ticats would be scared of, I don't think. I think it would be a giant disappointment for this team if, if because there has not been in the twenty years since they've won. They won in '99 was the last time they won the Grey Cup. There hasn't they've been there a couple times since, but there hasn't been another tie cat team that you look at and you say they are the team that should be favored to win the I, Grey Cup. I I think if if in fact they get to the finals, so that's <clears> a good point. It might be a giant disappointment if they don't get to the Grey Cup. That would be even more than that if you don't win against probably Montreal. At home, where you haven't, as you said, where you haven't lost all year. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah. But I, I still think if it's it's it comes down to one game, and and but the expectations are that you certainly should be in the Grey Cup, and depending on injuries, right? I mean, a lot of things can happen in the Eastern Final. Um, all things being equal, I think the astonishing part for me, not being a football expert compared to you, would be that they lost what some think is the best quarterback in the CFL 25 games ago. I mean, how many games did Mazzoli play? Three? No, they lost, they lost them 12 games ago. Uh, and But that was the huge advantage I think Hamilton had this year, is that every team lost their starting quarterback. Literally every team in the CFL lost their starting quarterback for some period of time. Hamilton's advantage is they lost theirs early, so Dane Evans had 12 full yeah. games to get his legs under him and figure it out. And it, I've said this many times. If if Jeremiah Masoli had been injured two weeks ago, the Ticats are toast. They're absolutely toast. And if you saw Dane Evans play his first few games, you would have understood. They would have been toast. I, I think one of the biggest breaks the Ticats got was having Dane Evans there and have and knowing that he was capable of doing this if he had to. I don't there's know. There's lots of yeah, there's lots of CFL teams that know. If our starter goes down, that Radley kid, 
he's not going to cut it for us. I can assure you if that had been the argument, that would have been true. Yeah. But no, I, I don't think that they were sure Dane Evans could do it. I think they hoped he could. But you watch those first two or three games again, and he was pretty mediocre at best. And then he, eight games in, nine games in, he started to look pretty good. Well, one thing about the Ticats this year, and I talked about their depth, you know, um, and being able to beat the Argos without, without all their starters in there. One thing about the Ticats, they were not, this is a quarterback-driven league, but the Ticats have enough depth and enough talent that they aren't solely um, relying on their quarterback to do miraculous things every night. So Dean goes in, and he's got a tremendous infrastructure there with all kinds of talent. So if he throws out a couple wobblers and they pick him down, they don't have to be right in the hands every every throw. And I think you take your hat off to the Ticats for having that depth and that infrastructure offensively to let him go in and take some time to mature and turn into a pretty good quarterback and a great trade asset next year. Potentially. Or Mazzoli. Or, well, that's how Mazzoli got the job. Claris got hurt. I mean, if you really want to have some cojones and you're the Ticats, do you trade Bissoli now, thinking you can get maybe a little bit more for him, and you clear a little more space off your salary cap? But I don't think they want to do that. I think that this year was proof in the CFL you need to have two quarterbacks because someone's going to get hurt. Well, the, maybe, the, maybe the backup right now can do the job too. When Calgary was in the Grey Cup two or three years in a row and lost every time, were there was their season considering they were the dominant team in the league and they played Toronto and they would lose and they would play Ottawa and they would lose when they were the dominant team in the league with the best record in the league and they would go to the Grey Cup and lose was their season a failure? I think it, I, I well, there's only one team who doesn't have a failing year. Yes, but some teams that some teams are in a rebuild some years some teams you say i'm the big underdog here we're just going on public uh, public relations and media releases at the start of the year nobody says look at we know we can't win the great cup this year because we're rebuilding so they all think they have a shot but uh, to, to get to to try and be more serious which is always a challenge for me um i would think yes it's a bitter disappointment when calgary are the best in the league for that many years in a row and consistently lose the expectations are you have to be better. And the interesting thing is when you get there two or three times, and the Buffalo Bills didn't do it very well, mm. when you get there, you have to learn how to win, right? And the sometimes complacency sets in and says, you know what, we're the best team in the league. We lost last year. It's not going to happen two years in a row. And you think that just the odds are on your side. And then you do it for the third year. Well, there's no way we're losing this year. I mean, we lost the last two years and had the best team. You have to learn how to win, and you have to learn how to hate losing. And if you don't do that, you're destined for failure. Is bitter disappointment the same as failure? You said they would be bitterly disappointed if they lost. Would it be, a, again, would it be a failure? When Tampa Bay, yes, of course and, it's a failure. And when Tampa Bay lost last year, and they were the best team in the league by far. They were a failure. Was it a failing year? Sure. See that's what I that's what I think the Thai Cats have created for themselves now, and it's a good problem to have because yes. it says you've done well. But I think they've created now this position where if they don't win the Grey Cup, the year is a failure. Well, the expectations are are high, very high, and, and the and expectations are that you should, if you can accomplish what you've accomplished during the regular season, you should be able. Well, you should win the Grey Cup. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I would not have said that if they didn't win. At the start of this year, I would not have said if you don't win the Grey Cup, it's a failing year. No. But now right. I right. would First say. First November, now you can say that. Now I think it's fair to say that they, if they don't win the Grey Cup, it's a failure based on the year they've had, the talent they have, the depth they have, the record they've put together, all the things they've got going on. I expect that they're going to win the Grey Cup this year. But notwithstanding the, the rebuilding teams, everybody has the expectations. So there is only real one, one real winner. And unless you're, and I hate switching it back to hockey, but it's a good, good uh, segue perhaps, I'm pretty sure last year at Christmas the St. Louis Blues weren't saying, we're going to be really disappointed if we don't win the Stanley Cup because nope. they were in last place. So... When you look at it now and you look at the start of the year, I think Ottawa, there was reasonable expectation they'd be far better than they were. Yes. Um, Got rid of their coach today. Well, he resigned, but yes. Yeah. Well, it's, but, I mean, right now, if the Edmonton Eskimos win, they're the crossover team. If Edmonton wins, I think they look at this and they, if they even get to the Grey Cup, they can say, 
That was a terrific year. Yeah. Ultimately, we didn't win, but it was way better than we expected. Not what, and, and again, it's a very different position from the start of the year, but it's the reality going into the playoffs. And so, I think the expectations are the Hamilton Cats should win the Allen Cup if you the Allen Cup or the what's the other one called? The Grey Cup. The Grey Cup. If they win the Allen Cup, that would be truly miraculous. So let me tell you a story. Yes, uh, Lord Grey. Uh, when the Stanley Cup went to professional hockey, and uh, because they were paying their players, and John Robertson wouldn't put up with that, he ran uh, the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association. So we don't want guys. This is amateur hockey, so you guys take the Stanley Cup and keep playing for it because it used to be senior hockey. Lord Grey wanted to put his a cup up for the Canadian Hockey Championship that that we play for now, and Sir Montague Allen said, "I've already got a trophy. Use mine." So they started. Hockey, which was the prestigious one then, we started competing for the Allen Cup, and Lord Grey had to settle for the Commonwealth Football Championship. That's why I made that Freudian slip. And Lord Stanley of Preston gave the Stanley Cup, and then they would all get together over tea and discuss whose cup was bigger. Stanley, well, no, I was going to say Stanley would have won, but at the time, no, he wouldn't have. Lord Grey would have probably won. Yeah. Or or Lord Allen. I don't know who was at the, initially, whose cup was bigger. Sir Montague Allen. Sorry. He yes. was a sir. Sir, I don't know who's, who, who I guess the Allen Cup, has the Allen Cup changed size since? No. Nope. So it may have been the, uh, it cup may have been the jour. biggest, the, the biggest cup. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. During the commercial break, Don and I just... Talking about Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> oh, Jesus, trying to figure out where they come up with all these different plots. Yeah. Every plot to every... Now, we're going to insult a lot of people. Every Hallmark Christmas movie involves a woman who works in the big city with a high-powered job who, because of some emergency, has to return to her rural hometown right at Christmas time in the middle of their festival of Christmas celebration where there's outdoor skating rinks and Christmas tree lightings. And runs into her old boyfriend, her old love interest, and somehow falls in love again and then decides to leave her job in the big city and live at home with him. There is literally one plot for every one of these movies. It's just about casting. Okay, Don, this time you're Bob. Next year you're Gus. The year after you're said they could, Sven. They could, they could have the, uh, the sleigh go through downtown Dundas. I mean, you could make 15 of them in Dundas and use the driving park and... But they seem to have done it. Oh, I, I mentioned to Sue uh, on Sunday she was watching one. I come back five hours later, she was still watching the same one. It was a real, it was a real classic. It was made in 2019, and the other classic on just before that was made in 2018. Last year, how they do it? Last year, there's a Hamilton guy who now lives in L.A. who's a writer for the Hallmark brand of Christmas movies. He's written a bunch, a bunch of them. We had him on here talking about how do you write a Hallmark Christmas movie. And his answer was, you just Christmas the heck out of it. You take whatever is Christmas and ratchet it up on steroids so every tree in the city, in the town, pardon me, is covered in Christmas lights. And everywhere you go, it is snowing, but never too hard, just perfectly. She, When I come back, I was out at a celebration life for an old uh, buddy and coach of mine, Kenny Grant, and I come back in. And it, the end was coming. I said, where's the snow? Almost on cue, they heard me. It started. And it, the snow starts falling down. You know what it kind of reminds me of is uh, the, the Wiley Coyote and the Re- Roadrunner. It's just the same kind of a theme every Saturday morning. It's amazing that snow only falls the moment you realize you're in love. <laughs> <laughs> you know that when we have our first snowfall of the year here in Hamilton, it will be because someone just fell in love. That's what that's what causes it. It's when you it only rains when you when someone washes their car. That's how you get rain to start, and it only snows when someone falls in love. Well, I was in Oshweekin Saturday morning. Somebody must have fell in love. It was snowing out there. <laughs> well, everybody falls in love in Oshweekin. The New York Mets have made a management hiring. Apparently, Carlos Beltran is going to be their new manager. Carlos Beltran, and the reason I ask this, Carlos Beltran finished play his playing career less than 12 months ago. And now he is going to be the manager of a major league team. He was a great player. There's no question about it. Can you be a great coach? I'll use the word coach instead of manager. Can you be a great coach that soon after 
with players that are basically your age and some of them played with you. Can you do that, or is that asking too much of a guy? Well, I think it's asking too much of the position. Um, it It's always, first of all, I think the biggest struggle is having great players turn into great coaches. And it, it fails far more often than it than it succeeds. Uh, Gretzky was in uh, Arizona but never had great players, so we'll never know. But it's generally the journeyman, and I think always the challenge with great players trying to manage guys. And, you know, the big difference in success in sports is it's not the top third of the guys that are superstars. You don't have to teach them hardly anything. It's you have to make the other guys better. And if you're really good at what you do, you get frustrated because you don't understand why they can't do it. You know, it must have driven Gretzky around the bend. Well, of course. He's saying, why didn't you just do this? And the guy's look, looking like, who would even think of that? <laughs> Gretzky says, why didn't you just slip it between his legs? Like, he's bow-legged. Just pop it through. The, you know, the, the, so the expectations of the premier athletes to be able to relate to the guys that couldn't is a real challenge. And to do it a year removed... I mean, a lot of good coaches have to come up through the system. Now, th- th- there are, and, and in baseball, the best managers seem to be former catchers. Mm-hmm. And because and they grinders, see, especially. They see the whole game. They had to work for everything they did. They had to work to be able to lay a bunt down. They had to work to stay in the league. They never took anything for granted. And they go down to um, A ball. Durham. Yeah. Right? And figure out how to do this. So it's really hard. It's it's hard to expect much from a guy that's that quickly removed from the game to have success as a manager. Buck uh, Martinez, who was a catcher. Was not a good manager. Became, went from the broadcast booth to being a manager. And he wasn't good. And really understood the game and had no success. You know who it would, you know who must be really ticked off with this and really John Gibbons. Well, I'm thinking of any guys like John Gibbons. Anybody who is working for the Mets or any other team like this oh, yeah. in single A or double A, and you're grinding away, driving the bus, riding around eating peanut butter sandwiches, thinking, "Oh, I'm going to get my turn because I'm developing the players and I'm putting in the time," and I'm, and then they parachute some guy in who's never coached, let alone managed before. What am I doing down here? What am I doing down here? This is this is supposed to be the path to. You know, and, and I, you don't see this in the NHL, I don't think. Who was, who was the last, I mean, you mentioned Gretzky, but he had been retired for a decade probably before he... Yeah, he didn't stop playing. Who he, was the guy that has ever finished, taken off his equipment, and jumped behind the bench? Garth Snow became a general manager, but that's not the same. It's not the wasn't same. wasn't the question. It's the only thing I can think of. And Paul Newman in Slapshot, but that's not real. Yeah, he did well. His, uh, his his sidekick was in a picture yesterday. Played for the Birmingham Broom Dusters. A guy that looked like Paul Newman did the skating. Anyway, um, when you look at so here's here's one of the other challenges. He doesn't. Where does his infrastructure of coaches he can trust come from? So if, if running on your theory that there's going to be a few guys pissed that they didn't get a shot at the job or didn't get the job, they may be on the staff. I don't know how much help they're going to be. But where do you hire your guys? Like, where do you get that guy that you work with in AA and AAA who is the absolute very best hitting instructor you've ever seen and you want to bring him up because you trust him and you have faith in him because he made a lot of guys great hitters from good hitters and bench coaches. Where do you draw on those guys? Well, From yeah, your I guess, playing experience? I guess you go to your playing experience and you get you the hitting coach that you really liked. But the problem is that hitting coach was working with you as a player and now he has to answer to you. I mean, it's it's an awkward, yeah. it's an awkward thing. And as I say, if I'm a pl- if you have not coached before and you haven't had to be the bad guy, you haven't had to crack no. down ever, and now you've always just been one of the boys and one of the guys in the room, and now you have to be the guy who cuts someone or sends them down. Or I, look, it's doable. J.D. Martinez just won a title with the Washington Nationals. He's not retired all that long, so it's doable. And, uh, and that's what happens, you know, you know what I mean? Well, like, that's why he's been hired. That's be, why Beltran's been hired, because J.D. Martinez just showed you can do it. Because you you mimic success. Yep. But why, okay, so why do you not, I don't remember ever seeing this in football. I can't think of a single 
player that has taken off his equipment and within and a year has been a coach. Become the head coach. The head coach. Lots of lots of them can jump in. You can do like, some things. Well, basketball very often. Basketball you'll see guys, but not to become the coach. They'll become the second assistant coach or something learning along the way. Now, in, in, in fairness, there's a quantum leap between systems in football and, and plays in basketball and schemes and everything else. It's far different than baseball. Base- I don't know. Well, ba- but but baseball is calling far- games and stuff, and and like in football, would you not be? First of all, you got five minutes to make a decision. It's true, but would you in football if you were a former quarterback? If Brett Favre wanted to coach, now maybe part of the problem is these guys have made so much money they don't want to do it. But if you were Brett Favre or Peyton Manning, who would be better suited to be able to say, "I'm going to be calling the plays" because I understand what it's like on the field and. That that would be those would be the guys that you would think would be would make a lot more sense. Again, back to why didn't you let the why didn't you throw the ball here? And the guys going, I don't know. It's easy on the replay, but those guys did it in live time, right? So it's hard to sometimes for the premier athletes to teach the guys that aren't premier athletes. I mean, I'm looking John Elway, but again, general manager, and took some time before. Or after his playing yeah. days to become I I just other than baseball I can't think of the other example and I'm sure it's out there but I can't think of the other example right. of a guy who's left the field and within 12 months has become the head coach. Well, I guess the bigger question is too. I mean, we we, we might come up with one and I'm sure maybe. we can Google it or uh, right. We can maybe find like, what I want to find is how successful were they. So it's one thing for the Mets to be able to justify it and come up with all the rationale. But when was the last time somebody did it and was successful? And it leads to one other question about it, and that is, what does this say? The fact that J.D. Martinez won a World Series. Almost got fired, too. Yeah, but the fact that he won a World Series, what does it say about the true importance of a manager in modern baseball, that you can come into this job with zero experience and win a championship, and that other teams are now saying, oh, yeah, it's fine, we don't need anyone who knows anything. We can, you know, he's played... The, you would not, I mean, you, you run a, a real estate company. You would not hire someone to be in charge of the whole place because they bought a house once. Oh, yeah, I bought a house. I used an agent. I, I know how it goes. You would say, no, no, I think we would like someone with a little experience. If you're not, we may hire you to be a junior salesperson working with someone so there's someone overseeing what you're doing. But we're not going to give you the keys to the whole agency and all the people who have all the experience are now going to answer to you and you've never done this before. You wouldn't do this anywhere else. Well, the bigger challenge in, in, uh, to use a real estate analogy is oftentimes uh, in the old days, they would take their number one salesman and even even if it's car sales, make them sales manager. And that's not what they're cut out to be successful at. You but know, at least they had experience. They knew they what had, they were. They had some experience. But, you know, the guy that struggles and had to work hard may be the better detail guy to do it. But you're right. And back to the journeyman baseball player, back catcher, uh, hockey player that was on the third and fourth line. Pat Quinn was never the best defenseman on any team he played on, was a great coach. Um, Ken Hitchcock has trouble skating. Great coach. If you ever want to, if you ever want to fear for a man's safety, watch Ken Hitchcock skating in practice. Those videos of him, he, he back in the seventies, there used to be a children's toy called the Weebles. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Ken Hitchcock does not look like a Weeble. He looks like a man who could go down and splat any moment, and yet he's a he- terrific head coach. He's done well many, many places. Goes around the outside of the boards, get the other side of the ice. He, he's I like, was talking about in the dressing room the other day. It was at uh, at a Dallas camp, and that's he said that's how he gets around. He looks like the person who's on their first roller roller skates at the roller rink on uh, public skating night. Sometime I said, do the guys listen to him? He said they're scared not to. Mm-hmm. Commander that much respect, so you can do that. But I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Mets do. Heaven forbid if the Mets go well, to the World Series awful. next year, they're all the, all the oh, well. veteran guys are getting fired. Oh, absolutely. And again, it, it raises questions about what what is the importance, what is the value, what is the, even the role of the manager well, in 2019. Who are they going to get to manage in the minors? Because the guys are going to say, "Well, this is no right to the mate, no route to the majors. I might as well retire." Well, maybe it's going to be that a bunch of guys who just want to put a few coin, few dollars in their yeah. pocket before they go out and say, "Hey, pay me a half a million bucks, and I'll develop your players, and don't worry about promoting me. I don't care." Yeah. 
Just make sure we have a nice bus. That 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 might be where the money should be spent. It's a great question. Great point. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.